my pleasure to be with you this morning. And, uh, we did have an amazing time together this weekend. <clears throat> As Brian said, um, actually the, the ministry is called First Loved Ministries. Uh, sounds impressive, founder and president, whatever. You have to say that stuff. All it really is is that it came from <clears throat> a moment in my life when I was 30, I'd just become senior pastor of a church that I was senior pastor of for almost 18 years at Melrose Mass. At that point, I was 18 years old a Christian. And sadly, after 18 years, even though the beginning of my walk with Jesus was so powerful, it was so intimate, it was so real to me, by 18 years later, it had become quite difficult. Remember, Jesus said that taking his yoke would be easy, light, and rest for our souls. The amazing thing, here I was after going to Wheaton College, Gordon-Conwell, leading groups, now becoming a pastor. I found that my walk was actually more heavy, hard, and stressful. And more often than not, I found that it wasn't filled with joy. And I was really discouraged and sad about that. And especially my first year, I thought, you know what, I saw your, um, I think it must be your mission statement or something. I love God, love your neighbor, make disciples. The Great Command, the Great Commission. So I thought I would start off <clears throat> my first year in one of the most important sermon series would be on love. Right? Wouldn't that make sense? The problem was, was that as I was preaching that series, I became more and more aware of just how unloving I was. Particularly when I did the sermon on um, the Samaritan. Which, by the way, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't introduce the parable as the Good Samaritan. That would have been an oxymoron in the time of Jesus. Right? There was no such thing as the Good Samaritan. In fact, the Samaritan becomes the surprise figure when the priest and Levite walk by the injured guy, who if they were experts in the law, they would have been experts in love, and they would have, got, they would have loved the guy. And it probably shocked them when Jesus said, and then a Samaritan came by, and they thought, yeah, that dude's going to get off and take anything that the robbers left behind. Instead, he's the one that demonstrates the love of Jesus, to which Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I realized I didn't love people like that. I didn't even notice them. In fact, when I was praying that morning, out walking the streets, asking the Lord for his heart to do that sermon, three times in that parable, he says, and when he saw the man, first guy, when he saw the man, the next guy, and then finally the Samaritan, when he saw the man, and in that moment while I'm praying, I feel like the Lord said, but Mark, do you see the man? How often in your life do you notice, do you see? And I said, Lord, I don't. And he said, Mark, you know the toughest part is that a lot of wounded people just like him, they see you, not see them. You realize how often we live our lives every day and don't see people? That we don't intentionally love them? <clears throat> I was telling the guys this weekend, on, on, every now and then we run out of cream. And, uh, and I love cream in my coffee. I love my coffee. As a type 2 diabetic, I can't do anything sweet, but on first thing in the morning, I go to bed saying, honey, it's only seven hours away from coffee. Then I put a little xylitol in that tastes like sugar. 
And I put the cream and it tastes like coffee ice cream, which I can't eat that anymore either. So I can't wait for my coffee. So I can't do my coffee without cream. So just this last week, I was out at an early morning prayer time without a coffee. I go into this little convenience store where you pay twice for half as much, right? And I don't like doing it, but I won't. It can't be without my cream. So I walk in, and there's this Indian gal who uh, is usually there. A lot of times people are in there, even that crazy 6.30 in the morning, to get their lottery things and whatever else. But this particular morning, no one else was in there. And so I walk in, morning, you know, walk over, get my cream. I've been there enough times that she at least recognized me. I come up, I put the cream down, and... It became funny for a moment because I reached in my wallet and I thought I had a 20, but I had a 20 and a 1, and I pulled out the 1 and set it on the thing. It's like, I go, oops, no, that's not it. Let me pull out the 20. So I handed the 20, and she's giving me the change, and because no one else was there, I just, by looking at her skin, I said, let me just take a guess. What part of India are you from? Oh, sir, I'm from Bombay, which is now Mumbai. Well, actually, I've not been there, but I've been to India twice, and I've been all once for three, once for three weeks, once for one week. Told her all the different places I'd been, and then she says, "Well, Mumbai, my little village is about this far. It's like Boston and Danvers, you know." And she like draws it out for me, and I said, "Man, I love the food." I said, "I couldn't do spicy for breakfast, though. I finally had to get eggs and yogurt because I just couldn't do it." all three meals, but I loved your food, man, and maybe I'll get a chance to go to your village. And uh, she goes, oh, sir, that would be so wonderful. And so finally I started to walk out the door, and she goes, and I said, so have a great day. And she goes, you too, sir. Oh, and thank you for talking to me. She was seen. Just that little engagement of kindness and warmth, and she hollered it out to me. Walking out. I recognized that back then, 29 years ago, I didn't love well. Especially when he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I go, are you kidding me? That's not normal. That's not even, and never mind not normal, it's not even easy. Then he says, what credit is it to you if you love those who love you? Even sinners do that. I went, oh, darn, I know sinners who love better than me. Finally, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. That sermon series crushed me. I was undone. Like, how can I lead a church? I'm a rookie pastor, and I stink at the most important thing. So day after day after day, I used to go down to the nursery, the one place I could pray out loud and cry and yell and scream, and nobody noticed. Every single day, crying out to God, you got to change my heart. I can't lead these people. I'll resign now. You don't change my heart. If you don't do something, then I'm done. I kept looking because of my Pentecostal background. I kept looking for God to do some immediate zap, you know. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 26, the Lord said, you know, that in those days, <clears throat> I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Well, I was looking for that instant thing. Week after week after week, nothing's happening, and I'm getting more and more and more discouraged. And one day in the midst of that discouragement, I opened up the 1 John 4, 
started reading verse 7 because I knew it was about love. Dear children, let us love one another. Love is from God. I got to 419 where it says we love because he first loved us. But in that moment, on that day, I felt like he spoke it right into my soul. He said, son, you got it all wrong. It's not going to be a, a transplant. It's going to be a transformation. And the transformation comes by you coming to me every day who is love and let me love you first. And then you will love because I first loved you. That was 29 years ago, and it altered my whole paradigm for living the Christian faith. Eventually, five years later, he led me to the new command. Over the years, I've been surprised at how many people don't even know the new command. How many of you know the full new command? You say the whole thing through. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another, just as I, Jesus, have loved you. Most of us don't recognize that new command is an oxymoron. There had been 613 commands up until that moment that night with the disciples, and suddenly somebody had the audacity to introduce a new one, which only God could do, and God did in Christ. But what made that thing extraordinarily new was when he said, love one another just as I have loved you, <clears throat> as I do this illustration, where I have a husband and wife stand in front, which was John and, and, and Penny. And I looked at John. I'd never seen John before in my life. And I said, John, would you please love Penny as I, Mark Fee, have loved you? And it's perfect. He goes. And I go, that's it. You did it perfect. He's like, what? I said, let's try something different now, John. Can I give you a hug? I gave him a big, huge hug. Not that. We used to call it flipper hugs. Fred told me he called them burp hugs. <laughs> Do this little burp thing, you know. There, 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 child. No, I got a hold of him and wouldn't let him go. And I love that when he's trying to, and I'm like, no, you're, I'm not going to let you go, dude. And then finally I say, brother, I love you, man. I know I don't know you, but I really do love you. I'm so glad you're here. And I want the best for you this weekend. So then I stepped back and I said, now, Don, would you please love Penny as I've loved you? What do you think he did? Immediately he turns, gives her this huge hug, and speaks the same words to her, and holds her long and tight. What made the command new is that it's impossible to obey it without being loved by Jesus. That illustration shows how much we don't even understand the new command. Because I think unconsciously in the church, we almost hear it as though it says, as you read about how I loved Israel and the disciples, so you must try to love each other. But what makes it profoundly new is that without an experience with Jesus first, you can't obey it. That changed my life forever because now the biggest question was, Jesus, how do we get loved by you presently since your physical presence is with the Father? And that's what birthed the ministry. And we spent yesterday being loved by Jesus 
through words and actions in a life-changing way, right, Dan? Right? Who was here over the weekend? Just a hand. Am I telling the truth? Were you guys loved by Jesus in a profound way? By the Spirit, Jesus is still present, and especially present in us. And he wants to say words of love, show acts of love that you can see God love you up close and personal. That's what I've, for the last 12 years, I've been going around sharing with the whole church. And I hope at some point all of you will get the opportunity to go through first love to love. Because that's the weekend seminar that says in order to love, you got to be first love. Anyway, for the moments that I have, what's the click? How am I, where am I at? I'm still okay? When they told me 20, 25 minutes, I nearly fainted dead away. Because I can't stop. But I have to. So I want to focus on just one specific thing, though, this morning. That you could get love today by the Lord. <clears throat> Whoever's doing the scripture can, uh, can you put up the first one, the Deuteronomy <clears throat> or Exodus 19. On their way to Sinai, when they got there, God says these words to the people. He says them to Moses and then says, tell it to the people. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Next one. Then, after the whole 40 years and everything in the plain, Moses reminds them and says these words, right? He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. That's who they are now. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter tells both Jew and Gentile, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus and are filled with the Spirit who now have become the new people of God, he says to them, Look at these similar words. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special or treasured possession. And the last one I want you to see is Deuteronomy 10, 14 to 15. <clears throat> but I'm going to say it first person so you can hear it from the Lord. Go ahead and put it up there. They can see it. Deuteronomy 10, I think, I hope. Did it get in there? Well, I'll just say it to you then. He says, to me belong the heavens, even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. It's all mine. Belongs to me. Yet, I set my affection on you. I chose you, and I love you. And that word in the Hebrew is a very unique word, and it gets used only here. 
Paul uses a very similar word in Philippians 1.8. You have that one too there, bro? Okay. Where Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, It is right that I feel this way for you because I have you in my heart with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word in the Hebrew, affection, it means a deep inward emotional attachment based on someone's own will. And then the last thing it says is that it's a love that's so strong and will never let go. Set his affection on. Treasured possession. The whole earth is mine. It all belongs to me. Look, I know all of you have got closets full of clothes, garages and attics full of stuff. We got stuff in America. Possessions, right? But of all those possessions, you don't consider them every one treasured, do you? You don't set your affection on everyone. Just special ones, maybe a special one. I have five kids, 32 to 25. My girls are second and third. My daughter, Julia, and Sharice, actually my wife worked for this gal, wealthy woman, had one daughter, same age, same size as my girls, once or twice a year for a season while they were in that same 14, 16, 18, 20 years old, the daughter would literally feel a construction bag of clothes, and oftentimes one she hadn't even worn, and Robin would bring them home, and then the girls would go through this whole fashion show and then pick them out and choose them. This happened so often that when my daughter Julia went off to Bentley, she got risers for her bed, so the bed sat up high so she could take those huge plastic bins and put them under. She didn't wear the same piece of clothing twice for the entire semester. That's how many clothes she had. Talking about possessions, man, my daughter had them. And at Bentley, we could never afford the clothes like most of the kids there wore. And my daughter was like, dressed to kill. But here's the deal. Sharice and Julia both had their own bedrooms. And every now and then, Sharice decided that she saw Julia wearing something that she really wanted. And Julia said, Sharice, you can touch any of those clothes, but do not touch this one. The one that I have set my affection on that I treasure. Every now and then we'd hear the Sharissa! And I'm like, oh no, a murder's about to take place. And sure enough, Sharissa would go, Daddy, but it just went so well with that outfit. Honey, it's your sister's. Don't do that. Finally, Julia had padlocks on the door. We discovered there was a piece a possession that was treasured, that one set their affection on. You might have an item like that in your own house. They're not all the same, and Jesus, the Father, says about all of us. To me, it all belongs to me, the whole earth. But I set my affection on you. I call you treasure. Treasure. If anybody would dare mess with you, I call you the apple of my eye. Crown of splendor in my hand. That's who you are. 
And yet every now and then, someone will say, well, Mark, those are all plurals. Those are everybody. If any of you have any more than one child, you know that when you say, I love you guys, you want your kids to hear them hear you say, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you all. The plurals are the best kind because that means all of us. That means you're treasured and you're treasured. And he set his affection on you and on you and on you. And he says, mine, mine, mine. Everybody see Finding Nemo? Right? I can just see the seagulls, man. They're just, the Lord's in here right now going, mine, 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 mine. You're all mine. And you're all treasured. And I love you more than you can possibly imagine. How do we know that's true? Especially because in Matthew chapter 10, 19 to 21, or 29 to 31, Jesus said these words. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Just think about that for a minute. The Lord says, I made it all. It's all mine. In fact, earlier, he had said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet I, your heavenly Father, feed them. And are you not much more valuable than they? So now he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So you just decided that one of my creatures is worth half a cent. Thank you very much. Ones who I care for. But then he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from my will, care, or knowledge. He knows every sparrow. If he knows each sparrow, he knows you. You know what he says next? He says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. After my wife takes a shower, I'm thinking, oh God, how do you keep track of all these things? Man, it's a mess in here. <laughs> or some of you, brother, kind of wishing, where'd those hairs go, Lord? You kept track of those babies. I'd like them back. I'm starting to get that way myself. But I was meditating on this when I was memorizing it. I said, Lord, why would you say something like that? I even know the very hairs on your head are all numbered. And while I was meditating on it, I, I, he made me think of uh, encyclopedias, right? And you say maybe the volumes 1 through 10, and you go 1, 2, 3, 6, 4, 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. What does the number do? It gave one of those books identity. You know which one's missing. And he says, you're not a number. You have a name. And in John 10, Jesus said, as the good shepherd, I call you by name and lead you out. Because, he says, the shepherd owns the sheep. When the hired hand comes who doesn't own the sheep, he runs away and doesn't care for the sheep. But I care for the sheep because they're mine, 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 mine. I know them by name, 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 name. And you're treasured and valuable and I've set my affection on you and I chose you and I love you and my eye is on you and not a thing happens that I'm not aware of. Well, then the Lord made it profoundly Profoundly, profoundly meaningful to me. When one day, from the time the kids could run around and play, we would take them to a park, to the woods, whatever. 
One Sunday afternoon after church, I took Josh and Julia, who were then were five and three. There was a young mother, who, a single mother that Robin had invited over, and so she stayed back with her newborn. Sharissa was a newborn. And I took the two, her two older kids who were five and six. So I had six, five, five, and three. Took them to the woods that afternoon. It was winter, but there was no snow on the ground. So we'd still go out to play. So we go out to play, and uh, there was this little pond and this little creek. It's in Wakefield, if you've ever been to J.J. Grinsby's, and it's called Virginia Woods. But we're out there playing all the time. So this Sunday afternoon, we're playing, and people would still riding bikes and running and going through because there's no snow on the ground. So we're on this little bridge where the water would flow over, and there's icicles, huge icicles. And my son Josh is like, Dad, Dad, look at that, man, it's so cool. And before I can stop him, he slides down the bank, which is all icy, boosh, right into the water. But he doesn't care. He trudges up to the thing, and he's breaking off these huge icicles. Dad! You know, it's like trying to tell this story in um, Costa Rica. <laughs> One day I was doing that, and they're looking at me like, what's he holding? <laughs> but he's holding these icicles, you know, Dad, look at this, man, and busting them, you know, and after he broke them all off and broke them, all of a sudden he goes, oh, God, I'm freezing, you know, and, Dad, you got to get me out of here, because it's all icy, so I go over to this bush, and I have to tie myself into the bush. I have my coat hanging down so he can crawl up my coat, crawl up my arm, come through the bush. And it took us about five, six, seven minutes to do this. We come up, we come back over to the bridge, and the two kids that I brought with me were there, and Julia was not there. My three-year-old. And I look at the kids and I go, where's Julia? We don't know, Mr. Fee. We were watching you with John. Oh, that's the wrong answer. Where is Julia? We don't know, Mr. P. If you've lost a child even for seconds or for a minute, there is no feeling like that in the whole world. Because your kids, whether adopted or, or, or birthed, when they are yours, those kids matter to me in a way no other child will. Because they're mine, 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 mine. I love my kids. Now my little three-year-old daughter. This particular section of woods was is um, three sides streets, and then a hospital up at the other side. So I start running. I can whistle really loud. Some of you heard that. That was mild. And I'm whistling as loud as I can. I'm screaming, I'm hollering. I ran the whole length of these woods, this way and this way, this way and this way. I go up to the pond and I'm terrified that I'm going to find her floating in it. She's not in the pond. It took me probably 15 minutes to run that much of the woods. You cannot, you cannot understand what that feeling was like. And especially because it was a nice day, there were people with bicycles running and walking. The possibility that somebody had scooped her up and then your brain goes crazy. And you start imagining. But you want to know, the worst moment was about the 20th minute and the kids were terrified. I am screaming, whistling, yelling, crying uncontrollably. 
And finally, I just fall down onto my knees. And I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do? How do I go home to Robin? Hey, hon, I lost one. Guess we should make another. How idiotic. I mean, what you're like, what do I say? What do I do? There's no other kid. Even if we had another kid. Julia's Julia, and she's mine, and I've set my affection on her, and I know her, and I love her. How do I go home to Robin and say, I lost one? I'm telling you, you cannot know. You cannot know what that feels like. And while I'm on my knees, and I just I fall back, and I look over, and because there's no leaves, it's wintertime, I look, and I see by the one traffic light, there's way more cars lined up, and I went, oh, God, maybe she's in the road. Maybe she's been hit. So I get up, and I run over, and I get almost to the road, and right down there in the thickets is Julia. And I'm like, Jules! And I run over, and I scoop her up, and I just pull her in my arms, and I'm shaking, I'm trembling, I'm sobbing, and finally I pull her up, and I go, sweetheart, what are you thinking? And she looks at me and has this huge smile, and she goes, Daddy, I went pee-pees all by myself. <laughs> I'm laughing, I'm crying, I'm oh, God. I went pee-pees all by myself. How could you be mad at that moment, right? How can you say, honey, you're not supposed to go without asking permission? We get home, Josh runs up the stairs. Mommy, 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 dad lost John or Julia. Dad lost Julia. And Robin comes running down the hallway, you know, and I've got her in my arms. And she goes, whoa, wait, what's going on? She looks at me, she goes, are you, you're not okay, are you? No. It took me days to get over that emotion. Days. In that moment with the Lord, he said, son, that's what it means for you to be treasured. That's what it means for me to have set my affection on you. That's how I run after you, pursue you, chase you, long for you. When you're not noticing me, my eye is on you. If you, as an imperfect dad, could feel that for your daughter, how much do I feel that for you? I don't care what you think you've done that would cause you in some way. You realize that's the Luke 15 parable of the son, right? Where the son feels like he's not worthy of the love, and yet the father sprints to him. When I see you, run to you, throw my arms around you. I don't care what condition you are in, where your relationship with God is. There's not a thing you could ever have done or will do that would ever change. That that is his heart for you every moment of every day. And when that love gets a hold of your heart, it changes your life forever. When you actually know, own, and believe that God loves you, treasures you, set his affection on you, pursues you, runs after you, searches for you, cares for you, longs for you, that'll change your life forever. 
There's nothing like living out of the wonder, the freedom, the joy of being that So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here today. Pray that you would cause them. Lord, even now, if they could just put themselves and just imagine being in the woods and seeing one of their own missing. Imagine what that would feel like, that you say, if you, how much more is that my heart? Father, empower them now to just, in some measure, Heart to heart, spirit to spirit, let them know oh, that you love them that much. Let it begin to change their hearts and their lives. And especially, Lord, depending on how people in this room even view you, I pray that you would change how they would view you today. That you are the father from the prodigal story, but you're the father just like me. And if I, as an earthly father, would feel that way, how much more do you? I pray that you would touch people's perspective of you today. And that finally, Lord, when we come to the table today, we would remember that it was that kind of love that sent Jesus to us. And it was that kind of love, Jesus, that you died for us to win our hearts back, to win our love and our loyalty. So, Father, just let our souls be permeated by your love today in a profound and powerful way. 